Hope you'll bear with me today. I, as many of you have dealt with this before, you, there's, there is kind of a, a little bit of a lingering cough that happens, and so hopefully that won't be too distracting to you today. But I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 14, is our text this morning. If you're using the Black Church Bibles, that can be found on page 822. Matthew 17, 14. When we last studied uh, the Gospel of Matthew together a couple of weeks ago, we saw that Jesus was transfigured on a mountain in front of uh, three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And if you remember, there on that mountain, those, those three caught a glimpse of Christ's pre-incarnate glory, and they also caught a glimpse of the glory of his future, I guess we could say his future glory when he returns in glory, his, the, the glory of his future eternal kingdom. Peter, James, and John were privileged to, to see a glimpse of that. They saw Jesus' face shine like the sun. They saw his clothing change to dazzling white. They saw Moses and Elijah appear and, and speaking with Jesus and, and, and all that that uh, reminded them of or taught them that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And then as the culmination of this experience, they saw the Shekinah glory, the very glory of the presence of God come down on the mountain. And then they heard God the Father speak and say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so what an amazing event this was. For Peter, James, and John, this, this event encouraged them, confirmed to them that Jesus is the Christ. And even though Jesus was talking about being rejected and, and suffering and dying, that no, he is in fact the Messiah. This is all God's plan for his promised king. And so they were no doubt encouraged, they were reminded, they were um, strengthened to not only believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but then remember what he's been telling them, that they too need to embrace this road of suffering. They too need to follow him down the path of, of suffering for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. And so the disciples were exhorted to listen to Jesus, to listen to his teaching, to accept his mission of sacrifice, and to follow Jesus down this road of, of self-denial and this road of suffering. So again, you know, we use that phrase, a mountaintop experience, right? And this literally was a mountaintop experience. And, and it had been an amazing event for Peter, James, and John. And so now as we come to verse 14 this morning, we see what Jesus and the three, Peter, James, and John, encounter as soon as they come down from the mountain. And so that uh, leads us to our text today. Today we'll consider verses 14 through 20. So I'd ask the congregation to stand once again, please, for the reading of God's word. Please follow along in your copy as I read Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I, I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, 
How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Well, the title of the sermon this morning is A Failure of Faith. What we see in this event before us is, remember, there were three disciples up with Jesus on the mountain, but the other nine disciples, they have had a a failure, a failure of ministry, but we're going to see Jesus points to the heart of it. It's actually a failure of faith. It's interesting, uh, in preparing for this, I was looking at Luke's account and Mark's account of this, and and both of those uh, accounts go into much greater detail about the the, the suffering the boy was uh, undergoing, about the actual exorcism itself. But Matthew um, just streamlines all of that. He leaves out a lot of those details, and he streamlines it uh, for the purpose of really emphasizing the disciples' failure. And so <laughs> um, that, that's going to be the thrust of the sermon then. That's why it's called a failure of faith. You'll see the outline has that word failure. And as I was doing that, I was like, man, this kind of seems like kind of a, a negative message, right? But again, I'm just trying to be true to the text and that God, through his Holy Spirit, led Matthew to, to record it this way, to to, to put the, the spotlight, put the focus on the disciples' failure. Why? So that we might learn from it, right? So that we might learn and grow from it. So that's what I'm asking God to, to do today through the preaching of his word. So three simple headings this morning, all centered around this theme of the disciples' failure. If you're taking notes, it's going to be very easy, I trust. Number one is failure reported. Our first heading is failure reported. Again, look at the beginning there in verse 14. It says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, to Jesus, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. Uh, Some translations say he's an epileptic, right? And he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. So again, picture this scene. Jesus, Peter, James, and John have just had this amazing um, event take place, the transfiguration of Jesus. They're coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and at the base of the mountain, they immediately see a crowd. And the other gospel accounts tell us that uh, this crowd consisted of the remaining nine disciples are there, and they're arguing with the scribes. And then, of course, there's going to be this father. There's going to be some other bystanders. So it's a very chaotic scene. And Matthew immediately hones in on one particular man in this crowd, the father, right? This man begs Jesus to heal his son because his son has a seizure. That's why he's called an epileptic. It's like he he has what we would know as epilepsy. 
and, and these seizures are violent seizures and they cause him much pain and he's suffering terribly. But what we're going to see is that this is not just uh, any old condition of epilepsy, so to speak. This is caused by demon possession. A demon has taken control of this, of this poor boy and is causing the boy to suffer terribly. And so that's why he is falling into the fire and into the water. It's like the demon is trying to destroy this boy. Mark's account says the demon had also made the boy deaf and unable to speak. And so the demon is literally destroying this boy's life. And so this anguished father says uh, that, that his son is being shattered by this demon. And so he's begging Jesus to, to heal him. And so imagine what it would be like to be the father or the, or the mother of this boy. Right? All of us are, as parents, our hearts immediately can relate or, or can sympathize, let's say, to see your own child suffering in, in such a way. And, and you would do whatever you could to help um, th- this boy. And no doubt the father had tried things in his power to, to help his son. One of the gospel accounts, I can't remember if it was Mark or Luke, says it was his only son even. And no, no doubt he had tried what was in his power to no avail. And so what had he done? Well, he had looked elsewhere. He'd heard about Jesus and, and the power of Jesus and his apostles to heal and to cast out demons. And so the boy had went... Had, had done all that he knew to do. He had brought, sorry, the father had done all that he knew to do. He had brought his son to, to be healed. And again, I'm just kind of speculating here. I'm guessing he was, you know, originally looking for Jesus and had come looking for Jesus. Well, Jesus isn't there, right? Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so, but he finds the, the remaining nine disciples. And it's like, okay, well, I've heard you guys do this too. I've heard that Jesus has given you power to heal and to cast out demons. And so the father had brought the boy to the nine disciples to be healed. But look at what the father says in verse 16. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. So again, just imagine how that scene would have unfolded. You know, the the father comes and, and, you know, he finds, you know, eventually, okay, Jesus isn't there, but here's the nine Okay, here's my boy. And, and you know, just the, you can imagine the hope building up in him, the anticipation. Oh, maybe finally my boy's going to be healed. Finally he's going to be, this demon's going to be out of him and we can get our boy back. And, and his life is going to be restored. And, and then, again, I don't know what all the disciples did. I don't know what process they went through. But they tried something, right? They did something. I'm sure they laid hands on him. They probably said some things. But... And then nothing happens. And so imagine the, 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 how the hopes of this father were dashed, right? You know, you're, you're, you're anticipating a miracle. You're, you're hoping for a miracle. And then pff, nothing. He sees his boy still suffering. He sees his son still possessed by this demon, still having these seizures, still being thrown into dangerous situations. And so that's what verse 16 is, is, is reporting, the disciples' failure. Um, I need to remind us, if you actually flip back to Matthew chapter 10. Um, remember back in Matthew chapter 10, and I've already kind of referenced or said this in passing, but look what, what uh, Jesus did in verse 1. 
says, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then in a few verses down, of course, it lists the disciples, but then a few verses down in verse 5, it says, These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look at verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. So Jesus had given the 12 apostles this power this authority that's what apostle means it means to be sent out under the authority of another he had given them the power to do this and they what's implied here is they went and did it so these disciples had been doing this very thing previously in their galilean ministry they'd been doing what jesus had been doing they'd been proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of god and they'd been bringing in the kingdom of god so to speak through the authority of jesus by healing, and by casting out demons. So something's going on here because these nine disciples should have been able to have healed this boy. But in this case, they they didn't. And that's now been reported to Jesus as he's come back from the Mount of Transfiguration. He's immediately been thrust back into the, the... the struggle, right, to the chaos and the struggle of of sin and of suffering. That leads us then to verse 17, to our second heading. I called it failure bemoaned. I don't use the word bemoan very often, but I think it fits, right? Failure bemoaned. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's, well, look at it yourself. Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus is exasperated by the disciples' failure because of what their failure revealed, what it pointed to, um, what it pointed to, uh, what was going on in their hearts. Jesus is, 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 you just can hear the disappointment in his voice, the exasperation in his voice. He says, oh, faithless and twisted generation. Those comments that Jesus says, those, you know, he's not just making up some way of of being frustrated, right? He's actually referencing Old Testament um, words. He's, He's kind of quoting Moses back in Deuteronomy 32 when God through Moses said the same thing about the the generation of Israelites there that had come out of Egypt. They were called a faithless and twisted generation because in Moses' time, the people had become faithless. In other words, they had become unbelieving. They had quit believing God. They had quit trusting God. They were faithless. And, And not because there wasn't evidence for them to have faith it wasn't because of lack of evidence no the evidence had been there they had seen God work in a mighty way they'd seen God do all these send all these plagues on Egypt they'd seen God part the Red Sea and 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 deliver them through it and then bring the Red Sea on the on the Egyptian army they'd seen God provide miraculously with manna and and but despite all that evidence they'd become a a faithless generation they'd quit believing God they'd quit trusting God they'd quit obeying God they'd quit remembering God's promises and now Jesus says 
I'm, I, I'm among the same kind of people that Moses was back there in the wilderness. I'm dealing with the same kind of sin, the same kind of unbelief, the same kind of faithful, faithlessness. People who are quick to forget God, people who don't depend on God, people who don't trust and obey God. And that's why I call this a failure of faith, because if you look in just, in just these, uh, it's a pretty short passage, isn't it? Just, what, about six or seven verses, but you see some form of the word faith mentioned three times here. And, and this is the first one. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. Christ's rebuke is directed primarily at the nine disciples, but no doubt it extends to all who are within earshot, who might be guilty of this same kind of unbelief. And so Jesus says, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. He's been revealing God to them, right? I mean, he's been, he's been teaching them. He's been demonstrating the power of the kingdom. He's been doing these miracles. He's, he's, been, he's given his authority to them. He's given them these instructions. And, and yet he says, you guys are not getting it. You're failing to, to walk by faith. You're failing to act on what has been shown to you in, in, in obedience and dependence on God. How long am I to be with you? Jesus is only with them for a limited time, right? And so again, in here, you know, it kind of sounds like, and maybe this is part of it, he's saying like, you know, get me out of here. How much longer can I deal with you guys, Right? And there's probably maybe a sense of that, but he's also just saying, you know, like, guys, I'm, I'm not going to be with you much longer. You really need to get this, right? I mean, I've already been telling you now I'm going to Jerusalem where I'm going to suffer and die, right? I mean, things are kind of coming to a head, and I'm going to be raised, but we know that he's still then only going to be with them a short time after that. Despite those the faithlessness of the disciples, and despite the general unbelief that's all around him, Jesus still says, bring the boy here, right? So even though it it seems to me like Jesus is frustrated, and even though his disciples have let him down, Jesus continues to minister. Now, I'm very encouraged by that, right? Jesus continues to minister. Jesus continues to patiently, not only is he going to meet the need, set before him, but he's going to keep teaching his disciples. Jesus remains faithful to his mission to destroy the works of the devil by seeking and saving the lost. And so in verse 18, right, the boy has been brought to him. And again, Matthew is going to say it very succinctly. Verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. You can look at Mark and Luke's account, and I mean, it's a very dramatic thing, and you know, it demonstrates the, the power this demon had, but it demonstrates the surpassing uh, sovereign power of Christ. But Matthew, again, doesn't uh, go into that kind of detail, just says it very concisely. Jesus cast out the demon, and he, the boy was healed instantly. So instantly this boy is able to speak and hear again. Instantly this boy is freed from his violent seizures. Instantly now the boy is no longer in this danger that he was in of being destroyed, of being hurt. He's been given a brand new lease on life, hasn't he? Because I know Luke's account talks about how um, 
He was given back to his father. He was restored back to his, his father, to his family. Jesus has delivered this boy from bondage, and he's given this boy a brand new life. And so like many of the healings, this is an apt picture of what Jesus has done for each of us spiritually, isn't it? But again, Matthew's purpose is to to teach us what we need to learn from the disciples' failure. And so the account here in Matthew is not over, right? God, through his spirit, through the word he's preserved for us, he wants us to learn an important lesson, which leads us to our last heading then in verse 19. Failure explained. The failure was reported, it was bemoaned, and now it's going to be explained to the disciples. Verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So the disciples asked Jesus why they failed to cast the demon out. And Jesus gives them a straight answer, doesn't he? Because of your little faith. Faith. Four times already in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has used the same word to point out the disciples' little faith. You can see the references there in, in your notes. He says, it's because of your little faith. You, you had been given authority to cast out demons, but you couldn't cast it out because your faith is so small. Or you could say, your faith is so poor. Your faith right now, Jesus says, is smaller than even a tiny little grain of mustard seed, right? Because all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed, and you would be able to move mountains, he says. Now, move mountains, that's an expression, right? That's, a, that's an expression for doing what seems humanly impossible, But Jesus says, if you had the faith of the size of mustard seed, nothing would be impossible for you. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, you know, when we read our Bibles and we see a, a promise like that given, we've got to understand, well, what does that promise mean? What's the context, right? Context is always key. This doesn't mean that if your faith is strong enough, you can just go do whatever you want. You know, if, you, if your faith is strong enough, you can just start flapping your arms and you're going to fly, right? You know, that, that, no, that's not what it's talking about. The context here refers to accomplishing works of the kingdom for which they've been given authority to do. Accomplishing works for the kingdom, works of the kingdom for which they've been given authority to do. And Jesus says, if your faith, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll be able to do what I've called you to do. Which for the disciples was to cast out demons and to heal, right? If you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, God will work powerfully through you for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. But we need to dig deeper here. Okay, so the reason they failed was their little faith, but how exactly did the disciples demonstrate little faith? Well, Matthew doesn't really tell us anything else, does he? But Mark's parallel account helps us here. Because if you look at Mark's account of this event, in Mark 9, 28, when the disciples asked Jesus privately why they couldn't cast out the demon, Jesus answers 
them this way in Mark 9.29. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So, what's implied here is the disciples had not prayed, right? They had just jumped into this, and we'll, we'll get into that later. First, I need to do a little aside, um, and I don't want to, hopefully it doesn't distract you too much, but if you may be looking at your Bible and noticing, wow, there's no verse 21, right? <laughs> if you look down at your footnote, verse 21 says something very similar to what Mark 9.29 says about uh, this kind can only be driven out by, by prayer and fasting, it says. But it only appears as a footnote because the, the discipline of textual criticism has shown, that's where they, they're finding old copies of manuscripts, right, and they're comparing them and they're comparing them. and they're, that, that discipline has shown that verse 21 doesn't belong here in Matthew 17 because it's not found in the older and better manuscripts. And so what's happened is, and this happens from time to time, is scribes who, you know, were transcribing the Bible, they try to harmonize the Gospels. And so they say, oh, well, you know, it says this in Mark's account, and so we're just going to put that here. Maybe it was missing, you know. But God has preserved his word, and, and, and through that we, we see, no, it doesn't belong there in Matthew. It is in Mark, though. So it did, Jesus did say that. It happened. He said, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. And so this sheds light on how the disciples demonstrated little faith. They failed to pray. Again, you can, in your mind, try to think of what that must have looked like as they went to go cast out this demon. But apparently, the nine disciples had not prayed when they sought to to exercise this demon. Perhaps the disciples had become overconfident in their authority that Jesus had, in the authority that Jesus had given them, right? You know, they're thinking, eh, Man, we've done this a million times before, right? You know, so, you know, here, I'll, I'll, I'll just take care of it. One saying, okay, no, 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 fine, I'll do it. No, you know, and they're just kind of like going through the motions and, you know, maybe saying some little ritual or chant and, you know, expecting the demon to be gone. But what we can see is they didn't rely on God. They probably had their formula. They probably were just kind of, you know, in autopilot just going through the motions. If we just say these words, if we just do these things, then the results will follow. They weren't depending on God. Apparently, they weren't thinking about God at all. And this helps us understand what the life of faith is. I've had two weeks to be mulling this over now. And I've been thinking about this. I've been looking at at those other passages in Matthew when, when Jesus says to the disciples, oh, you of little faith. What does it mean to have little faith? Or, to say it positively, what does it mean to walk by faith as we're called to? What does that look like? What does it look like to have strong faith? And this is a challenge, right? Because I know this gets misused. You know, you look at those guys on TV and, you know, they're they're saying and doing a lot of things that are not helpful in our understanding about faith, right? But here's what I want us to, to really think about today. When we think about walking by faith, and when we think about having strong faith, not being people of little faith, 
Faith is, is not even so much a measurable quantity per se, but rather it is a relationship. Faith is centered on our rela- relationship with God. Okay, That's what I want you to really think about today. Faith is centered on our relationship with God. I believe the disciples failed in faith because they did not consider God. They did not rely on God's power. They did not ask for God's help. They, again, I'm, I'm speculating here, but according to the, what the text is showing us, they did not serve for God's glory. Like I said, I looked back at the other four times in Matthew when Jesus spoke of disciples having little faith, and it was always connected to their relationship with God. Being anxious because of losing sight that God is good, loving, and faithful to provide what we need. That was Matthew 6, right? Being fearful in the midst of a storm because of failing to see that Jesus is more powerful than the wind and the waves. Being too focused on physical bread that they fail to grasp the more important truth of Jesus being the bread of life. It's always connected to their relationship with God. And so whenever the disciples are rebuked or corrected for having little faith, it's because they're failing and they're... And they're failing to consider God. They're failing to rely on God. They're failing to, de- to, to, to serve for God's glory. They're failing to focus on God's promises. They're forgetting God. And so, loved ones, as we seek to apply this to our lives, we too fail to walk in faith when we lose sight of who God is. We fail to walk in faith when we forget what God has promised to do. We fail to walk in faith when we fail to remember that apart from God, we can do nothing. Right? And that's saying it negatively, but let's say it positively. We grow stronger in our faith as we cultivate our relationship with God. That's, that's one of my big takeaways, so please don't miss that today. We grow stronger in our faith as we cultivate our relationship with God. And that ties in nicely with what David preached on last week, isn't it? Like like David was encouraging us as we increase to know God through the word. Or as we grow closer to God through the other means of grace... We, as we do those things, right, as we seek God in his word and through the means of grace and prayer and worship and, 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 and singing and, and corporate worship and fasting, as we do that, we will cultivate such a God consciousness that God is front and center in everything we do and in everything we face. Isn't that what we need To have that God consciousness to where God and his kingdom is front and center in everything I do and in everything I face. My first thought goes to God. His glory, his promises, his work. So for example, when we go through trials... And we're tempted to be anxious. If we are cultivating our relationship with God, when we face those trials and we feel that temptation to be anxious stir up inside of us, we'll remember by God's grace, by the prompting of the Spirit, 
will remember God. We'll remember that God is loving and wise and sovereign. And we will walk by faith and we'll trust him in the midst of that storm, in the midst of that trial. We'll trust him. And the Bible says we'll have peace. We'll have his peace. And we'll have his joy even in the midst of that trial. When we start to get discouraged by the sin around us, by the sin in us, we will remember God's promises in the gospel, that we are forgiven, that we're declared righteous, that we're dearly loved. We'll remember that God is sanctifying us, that he's coming again to eliminate sin once and for all. And as we remember those things, as we keep God and his word and his promises front and center, what's going to happen to our discouragement? It's going to fade away quickly. Our discouragement will be turned to joy. Our discouragement will be turned to strength to keep following Christ in obedience and faith. When we're distracted and tempted to live for the things of this world, if we're cultivating our relationship with God, when that starts to happen, when we start to say, oh, wow, that looks good, maybe I should, you know. No, God's going to immediately become front and center. We're going to have God and his kingdom lifted back up to the center of our hearts where they belong, and that's walking by faith. We'll be zealous for God's glory. We'll be bold in our service to God, whether it's telling someone about Christ, whether it's discipling our kids, whether it's ministering at church. We'll be bold, we'll be confident, because we will expect God to do great things for his glory. We'll expect God to do great things for his glory. That's having Strong faith. When we serve Christ, when we worship Christ, we won't just be going through the motions. We won't just be doing things in our own strength. Rather, we'll be praying to God. We'll be asking him to work in us and through us for his glory and our good. That's how you can put this into practice right away. Pray. Pray, pray before you come to church on Sunday. Pray for for all those who are serving, leading us in worship, preaching, praying. Pray for God's word to, to speak to our hearts. Pray for God to be glorified. As you daily sit down and to read the Bible, pray. Say, God, I need you. I don't I'm not I don't want to just do this in my own strength. I don't want to just do this to check a box and to get it done. Please speak to me. I know that my My understanding is limited. I know that my heart gets hard. I know that I'm easily distracted by by these things and other garbage. God, please help me. Please help me. As we, man, I, I so long for God to be front and center in our lives. So that every opportunity that is before us We'll respond to it in faith. Right? When, when God opens a door to tell someone about Christ, we won't be like, oh, but what if they don't like it? No, we'll say, I'm, I'm going to fear God, not man. God is able to, to soften the hardest heart. God can work powerfully through his word. By cultivating our relationship with God. Think of what that would look like in your life. 
if by God's grace you're cultivating your relationship with God, and as you continue to do that, by cultivating our relationship with God, we will walk by faith and we will experience God's peace and we'll experience God's joy and we'll experience God's power in our lives. Power to overcome temptations. Power to to do bold things for the sake of the kingdom. Don't you long for that? Don't you long to experience God's peace and joy and power? And if you're saying yes, then cultivate your relationship with God. Because that's how it happens. That's how we walk by faith. Cultivate your relationship with God. And let me just close by saying this, you know, again, <laughs> the title was a failure of faith, right? And failure this and failure that and failure that. And, and the disciples failed. And we fail. And so that's why I'm so thankful for the gospel. We, like the disciples, have many failures of faith. For one, by nature, we too are a faithless and twisted generation, right? And then even as believers, we still have hearts that are are quick to forget God and quick to live for ourselves, but praise God for the gospel. Praise God that Jesus lived a perfect, faith-filled life. Jesus always walked by faith. Jesus always trusted his Father. Jesus always depended on his Father. Jesus always kept the Father front and center and lived for the Father's glory. And because Jesus did that, and because he was faithful all the way to going to, to, to willingly dying on the cross to pay for our failures, pay for our sins, then the good news of the gospel is that by, by faith, through faith, as you embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, his perfect righteousness is credited to you and your sins have been paid for by him. And so even though we all, in our own and on our own, fail and we sin, but we won't stand before God only in those failures. No, rather, we'll stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Praise God. So I say that to encourage you believers. You know, maybe God is pointing out, yeah, you're, you're not walking by faith. Yeah, you're failing. You're, you're, you're losing sight of me and my promises. Confess that, repent, embrace the gospel, and ask for God's help to, keep, to, to grow, to improve, to cultivate your relationship with him. And if you've never trusted in in Christ as your Savior, then I encourage you to do that today. Like I said, by nature, we're all failures, or the Bible says that we're all sinners. We're all rebels. And so we need our sins forgiven. We need Christ's perfect righteousness so that we can be with God forever. But again, that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus provides that to all who turn from their sins and embrace him by faith as Lord and Savior. So that's our call today, is to continue to embrace the gospel, and because of the gospel, we, have, we, we should um, 
have all the, all the zeal, all the motivation to cultivate our relationship with God. Not out of fear of God's wrath, that's been satisfied, that's been paid for. Out of knowledge of his love for us, that he wants us to grow in our faith and in our walk with him. And just like I said earlier, we see Jesus patiently, even though sometimes maybe frustratingly, <laughs> teaching the disciples, he'll, he'll be patient with us too. All right, praise God. Let's pray. Father, we, we need you every hour. Thank you for the reminder today of, of that truth. And I think of what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, that he is the vine and we are the branches. And that as we abide in him, we will bear much fruit, but apart from him, we can do nothing. Oh, Father, please forgive us. Please forgive us for trying to do things in our own strength. Please forgive us for losing sight of who you are and what you are doing. For Please forgive us for often forgetting you and forgetting your kingdom, forgetting your word, forgetting your promises. Please forgive us for not cultivating our relationship with you. And we thank you. We praise you and thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your grace to forgive our sins. And as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. Thank you for forgiving our sins, for forgiving our failures of faith. Thank you for Christ's imputed righteousness. Thank you for your patient love to sanctify us. Please, please sanctify us. Please grow us. We want to be people of faith. Please give us the grace to seek first you and your kingdom. Please grow us so that we have such a a God consciousness that you are central to everything that we do, to everything that we face. Our, Our default thought is of you. Please make us a church, Father. Please make Abounding Grace Church a church that walks by faith. And may you do great things in us and through us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand, please? And we'll continue in our worship through song.